I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week you have me, Dave, you have Leo. Hello. And Chris. <laughs> we have a full house. And this week's distinguished guest comes to us by way of Venezuela. She's an Olympic shooter. So let's welcome Gabby Franco to the show. Hello, Hello Gabby. Hi, Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. If you would take it, take 30 seconds or so and introduce yourself. Well, I am an Olympian. I used to shoot Olympic shooting. I did it for about 11, 12 years. And now I shoot competitive shooting like USPSA, two gun shooting. And I love the shooting sports. I have done it for three quarters of my life. So it's definitely part of my life. <laughs> That's a very good life if three quarters of your life has been shooting. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's been fun. All right. Well, I'm excited to have you on. I've been, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, and at the end, uh, I'll explain why I want to have you on again okay. at another time. Um, but Gabby, we normally start with five questions. They're a little bit more personal. They're kind of get to know our guests. They're like icebreakers. Okay. Okay. All right. First question. What is your favorite movie? Ooh. <laughs> that is a very interesting question. I would say <laughs> the bodyguard. <laughs> okay. Kevin Costner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I liked it. I like a little bit of uh, drama, but I like the... I like the, the sense of the movie. Okay. How about your favorite book? Ooh, I have so many books that I really, really like. And I have to say, I'm not a person who, when I like something, I read it over and over and over again. I read it once, I love it, and that's it generally. But there's a book that I really enjoyed, and it was The, um, uh, the Celestine Prophecy from James Redfield. And I think the book changed my perspective in life in so many aspects. Um, if you haven't read the book, I re highly recommend it. It's a very good. Okay. Oh, good answer. I wasn't sure if you're gonna, you were going to just say your book was your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as, as an author, I am very, in a way, self-critical that I'm always thinking, oh, I can make it better. I can make it better. <laughs> so I'm always learning from the best. And um, James Redfield, it's, it, I mean, his books, Celestine Prophets in the 10th, uh, and all his books are amazing. Okay. All right, so this is a, a Huggy special here. Who is your favorite superhero? Spider-Man. <laughs> ah, really? Okay. Well, I might be, I may be biased because my son, he claims to be Kit Spider-Man. So without a doubt, that was the first answer that crossed my mind. 
Oh, the old Spidey verse, huh? <laughs> yes, yes, for See? sure. He's there always to protect Mama. So, have there to. you go. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, well. Whoop. Okay. All right. So, oh, your favorite gun and caliber? Well, I definitely like my Wolfers. Um, a Wolfer, I use a. That Q5 steel frame, which I have with me right now, and uh, nine millimeter, nine millimeter. But that said, it's not a. That's the only kind I like. I like many other different firearms out there. Um, I like 19, you know, the 1911 platforms. I think they're great guns too. So I kind of like the steel frame nowadays because provide that weight that, that you know mm -hmm. helps in your lab with that recoil. So that's one of the things I really enjoy with my Q5. Okay. Now, while we're on that real quick, I have a question. Um, yeah. I noticed you changed your, you went to a different optic. You went to the hollow sun. Yes. So how were you liking the hollow sun over the previous one? Well, I was using the, um, the venom, the vortex, the venom. And I liked it. I like, I really like the low profile. And uh, the reason for that is, as an i like the everything that goes very close to my hand okay if it goes too too high i feel like i have to put my hand down obviously to get in the same visual with my eyes and that doesn't feel as natural um but then i had this opportunity and primary arms came to me and said hey we would like you to try this this uh this optic and i am one of those people who like to try things before i say anything uh you know very good about or bad about it and i tried it for six months and i loved it it was a you know a learning curve going from a dot to a uh, chevron but what i really liked is that as a as a someone who trans transitioned from iron sights to red dot I kind of struggled to see the dot clearly, especially when I'm shooting fast. There was a point I didn't see anything. And most people say, oh, just see the wind and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that can help you to until, you know, to certain level. And with the Chevron, it gave me a more visual as I'm shooting fast. I'm like, okay, I know where is that red dot or the Chevron in it. And it was actually, quicker transition than I expected. And since then, I, you know, I loved it so much so that now, you know, um, they are my current, uh, one of my sponsors now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're using a Chevron, not a dot. Now I'm using the Chevron, the, Chev the Chevron and, and, and this dot, particularly the, um, this model, because they have different models, but the, this Holison, this is the 507 model this one has also a circle around the dot or the chevron, the chevron to say so i don't use that because i'm so used to it i'll find that no problems but what i found out is that it helped me a lot while practicing left-handed when i was shooting left-handed especially during my transitions i would be like you know trying to find the dot <laughs> and as then i thought hey this is when that circle for me, even though I'm not as, you know, I'm very comfortable using my gun and everything, it really helped me 
to find the perfect uh, position and hand grip and, and find my dot quickly. So I, I really like it. I tell people if you are new to using optics, this optic will probably trans help you transition a lot faster and, and understand, for instance, where it's going to be more a visual of when you're gripping the gun and, and, and I mean, at the target, where the dot is constantly going. And if you see, oh, my dot is always to the left, to the left or to the right, whatever, it, it will be a lot easier for you to identify the problem on your grip as you, before you even, you know, aim the gun. So it's, you go into what's going on and go to a process of elimination until you find the possible source of the issue and, and you can fix it. But that circle around the Chevron, it, you know, is a plus for that. Yeah. You know, Beyonce actually made a song about not finding your dot. Everything you own is in the back to the left. I have to say that's uh, so awesome. I'm glad you gave that explanation on the hollow sun uh, 507, because I just actually transitioned from production to, to carry optics. Mm -hmm. And I just put the hollow sun on my gun. So, uh, I haven't even fired it yet, and okay. uh, been, I've been doing some dry firing, trying to get used to finding that dot. So it's yeah. great to get that information from you. So I'm gonna try the shot, try that uh, what you said and everything. So and like I, and like I said, and I can tell people it's just a tool. Just look at it as a tool, you know. And like I don't use it right now, but when I was practicing getting more comfortable uh, to get my dot with the left hand, uh, you bet I did use it. <laughs> so <laughs> if, if it's there. And it's beneficial. Why not using it? So yeah, try it. I think it'll be very beneficial. More, more so that you would be able to have an extra, you know, um, tool for you to identify where your problem is and so on and so forth. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> sure. All right. So you have traveled a lot yes. outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. What's the one place that you would like to visit again? Oh man. So I have traveled for to 18 countries so far. Um, most, most of them as a uh, competitive shooter representing Venezuela. And that's a difficult question. I, I would say the Philippines. <laughs> okay. I would say the Philippines. I mean, like I'm saying, every country I've gone, I love them. And when you go as an athlete, you just go where you need to go and yeah we have time to you know visit or tour here and there but not the same as a tourist i did have right. a, i did have a i had a great time phenomenal time in the philippines unfortunately i didn't get to go to the islands and i've heard that they are one of they have one of the most beautiful islands in in the world and um, putting aside Venezuela because we have very beautiful beaches <laughs> over there. But um, I would say the Philippines, the food is delicious. Oh, my goodness. It's it's amazing place to to go and visit for sure. Did you have the banana ketchup? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I've been know. to the I was in the Philippines three times in the military. And um, the, these people had banana ketchup, so I tried it. Mm, not a good move. 
I like their food as well, but I do not like their banana ketchup. They can keep it. I, I won't be importing that anytime soon. <laughs> That's very interesting. I never so, so, so what's your favorite food over there then? Well, I like sticky rice. I like the dessert. Um, the the uh, seafood is delicious. I mean, I love that. Every time I order any kind of fish or seafood, it was like top notch. But they have so many other random stuff. I can't even tell you what it was. It was just good. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. their, their food was, is very good. It's very, I would say, good. It's very flavorful. You see, very colorful. It's not just a piece of steak. I mean, they really put some that you are you're chewing. You're like, oh man, I can taste stuff. You know, natural stuff. Like you taste the onions, the bell pepper, fresh, and I really enjoy that in food. All I know okay. is I'm getting I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> We're all gonna be eating as soon as this is over. Man, like, can I, we can we yeah. turn this into a cooking show? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I may not look like it, but I really like to eat. It's a funny story. I didn't when I was a teenager. I literally did not eat. I was, and I have some condition. I guess I'm not gonna bore you with that. But the point is that I started eating like really eating after i started traveling because mom and dad was not with me and they were not there to give me what i wanted it so i was literally forced to eat what uh was offered in those countries so imagine from a kid who's very picky eating to go to peru ecuador and other countries where food is so different in so many different ways and and that perhaps was the best thing because I can literally eat anything as long as it's not moving or pickles. <laughs> I don't like pickles. <laughs> so other, other than that, uh, I'm, I'm down. I'm like, yeah, let's not, do it. No pickles even when you were pregnant? No, 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 never. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> Those are just two very specific uh, like differences. It's pickles and can't be moving. So, like, you can't go to Korea yeah. and eat the squid live. Right. That's disappointing. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> World-class world baker right there. That's true. Woo! I don't know if you can tell in this area of my face. <laughs> um, I, I do bake hey, a lot. Yes. So. It can be deceiving, okay? Uh, no, well, you haven't seen it from here down either. <laughs> so, this face on that body over up whatever direction Huggy is from you up. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. right. I make good cakes. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, my dad, I grew up with, um, and I guess that has to do with it, that my dad was a hunter in Venezuela when, you know, owners, gun ownership was allowed and a lot of things were allowed. And I grew up with wild game too, you know, so my mom, you know, venison. And so, you know, that, that changes when you are only kind of used to certain foods and then you go outside and then, you know, you explore so many different things. But I, you know, it's all good. <laughs> so when did you first shoot a gun? Um, well, my dad, this is funny because my dad went to a gun range to get his uh permit or something or class to get his concealed carry license to apply for it back in Venezuela. And then in the gun range, he learned that there were 
junior Olympic shooting team. I was 10 at a time, I believe. And then he put my older sister to, in the team to shoot and kept my younger sister and I drive firing for a year. So it, it, that's what I'm saying that because it, my first shot was probably a year later after I had already been handling firearms, if that sounds crazy. But uh, I would say between, I don't know, 10, 11, probably at one time my dad took us in and let us shoot something. But most of the time, uh, that, that starting period was just drop firing. He thought that we were too young and we needed to be very careful, which is good, you know? There, there were no right. education on how to teach children and how to shoot. So I guess to him, that was his best judgment. But um, yeah, I started very young. Seems to have worked out okay. Huggy, you okay up there? Yeah, all right, buddy. <laughs> you're on. You're on mute. We can't hear you <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, stay third. We always stay. I was pulling the Dave from the other day. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. My bad. Okay. So okay. So I, I'm gonna add in a question here. Um, how about your son? What, have you, has he shot or are you going to get him into shooting? Yeah. So my son, I haven't taken him to the range yet. Uh, while we've done my, my husband and I, like I draw fire at home and he sees me with a gun and he's very familiar. He doesn't even ask me what it is, you know, or he's not you know, curious of what it is. He doesn't try to touch or anything. And we tell him about safeties and all that stuff. Um, I, we will probably start next year now he's going to be next year closer to six um he's a very active kid like if i if i'm holding his hand and i just do this he's gone so oh <laughs> yes he's, and he's a runner he's a runner he'll go and i have chasing him at the hospital okay because for him it's a game uh, me and wedge just can come back here so you know, that's, so that's been my concern that he will be like, okay, if we are in a, you know, shooting environment, you need to stay quiet mm. and stuff. So um, what, another strategy that I'm planning to do when it gets war warmer back in here in Virginia is um, um, taking him to matches when my husband is shooting. Because, you know, the good thing about Virginia is that they do the match same day during the weekend. So my husband can shoot on a Saturday and I can shoot on a Sunday. So while my husband is shooting, I can take him um, and let him show, maybe help paste and give him an activity that he learns. Okay, we go in and then sit back. And and then when he's done, we can go home. You know, I'm not going to let him, I'm not going to stay there for with him for four or five hours That until getting him used to it. So that's my process um, or my, what I'm, my plan of getting him used to it, conditioning to what the firearms are, the safety rules. I do believe in that process, slowing down. I, you know, he's only five, he has a whole life to go. So I'm not in a rush, but I'm definitely thinking through a process that can be successful for him, safe for him, and obviously a peace of mind for me too. Yeah, that makes sense. Start them on a 22 because you started on a 22, right? 
what is it? Did you start on a 22 caliber? Uh, actually, I started on an air pistol. Oh, air pistol. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. And if I started him, uh, what my husband and I are thinking, just rifle, maybe a pellet rifle or a 22 rifle. I like that better than starting on pistol just because the muscle of the gun is farther from their hands uh, is, you know, there are less chances for him to fumble things around until he gets more used to it. So we have a very nice, I got a, I want a, an, a raffle, an NRA special edition rifle in one of these meetings. And I love it. And it's a lever action. So I always said that's yeah. going to be his rifle. So, um, yeah, so we're going to start him on that. Yeah, I started my uh, kids on a little 22 repeater because mm -hmm. you, you can rest it. All they have to do is get behind it and there's no recoil. I mean, it. yeah, I agree with it. It's very easy. Great way to break them in. Yeah, it's very easy. It's fun. I want him to have fun with it. Um, and obviously, while learning the safety rules and, right. you know, not rushing things. I think uh, one of the biggest my concerns are when I talk to parents, they ask me that question. So I don't rush things. You know, they have a whole life ahead of them, whether they're learned little by little, they don't need to learn right now other than safety. Uh, but just take their time so you don't, they feel that they can go whenever they want to and they can enjoy it without feel, feeling pressure that they have to do it. They have to become a shooter. So when I tell my husband, I don't care if my son becomes a shooter or, or not, or he'll do whatever he does in the future. All I can do as a parent is provide the tools and the knowledge that can help him be a better individual and success in his, in his life. But other than that, that's all my plan. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So how did you go from shooting your first gun at 10 or 11 mm -hmm. to being an Olympic shooter for Venezuela? You know, <laughs> other than yeah. just growing up, <laughs> well, I um, She's like, be awesome. That's how Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say a lot of work, you know, uh, okay. a, lot, a lot of hard work. Um, I train uh, six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday. Mondays were days free because the range was closed. Um, countless hours after school, going to the range, drop firing, uh, skipping parties, skipping even my graduate high school graduation. School. Yeah, no school. I didn't <laughs> skip school. <laughs> that was no part of the bargain there. <laughs> but uh, a lot of sacrifices. Um, and I tell you a story. So we have, our, and I still very good friends of the, this man. He was one of my older sister's best friend. And he was a judge in um, synchronized swimming. I think that's the name, synchronized swimming. So he was a judge uh, for years and he still is. I mean, 20 plus years later, he goes to Olympics and all that as a judge. But I remember, uh -huh. I remember he was in Australia like two years, probably like we're talking about 1998 or something like that. And he sent a podcast postcard i mean we're talking back in the day postcard not even an email <laughs> a postcard from australia and said i don't remember exactly what the postcard said but the only thing i remember said 
see you in Sydney 2000. And we had that little mm. postcard in the mirror. And then, you know, stick on, on the side of the wood in the mirror of, on our in our bedroom. And I remember looking at that see you in Sydney 2000. And all I kept thinking as a 17, 16 year old was like, wow, who goes to the Olympics? They're superhumans. You know, it's to me was something untouchable. Like I, I would see it there and I would see like, yeah, right. <laughs> so when people ask me how getting to the Olympic Games to me was surreal um, and, and it happened just not only because of my hard work, because I earned the spot. I went to the Pan American Games in 1999 and I won a silver medal and that gold and silver medal were automatic classes to go to the Sydney Olympics. So it's not like I didn't earn it or anything like that. But it's amazing how your mind tricks you sometimes into thinking that certain things are untouchable for you. And and I'm I'm very blessed that, you know, um, I had an amazing coaches and my parents and amazing support who perhaps I didn't tell them that, but you know, seeding me that hard work pays off. Like you don't see the work right now, but you can look back like myself now, 20 years back or from the Olympic two years back and see, wow, it did all the sacrifices. It did pay off. So, you know, taking one day at a time, but it was definitely an amazing experience. So, okay. So that brings up a good, a good point. At some point, your mindset had to change from, oh, that's impossible. Only superhumans do that to, oh, now Gabby Franco <laughs> is going to the Olympics and representing Venezuela. Yeah. At what, at what point did you go, hey, maybe it is possible? Yeah. You know, even when I was in the, uh, I would say, like I'm saying, it was surreal for me. It did not hit me like I am in the Olympics until until I was in Sydney, you know, there. Because there's so many things that could go wrong as an athlete. You train so hard, but you can have an injury. You can get sick. I mean, there's so many variables that you cannot even control. And that's something that you desire so much that um, for good or for bad, you think like, you know, until I'm there, I know I'm there. So uh to me it hit me obviously after the my, my silver medal in the way that wow now i need to train a lot even though we were very limited you know in venezuela we had very limited trainings um, and resources and tools but nevertheless i i always try to do my best uh, but yeah I, your my mindset i would say it's not like necessarily change per se, because like I said, I had a strong foundation with my coaches and I I have these books. <laughs> Do you believe it or not? This is my no, yeah, I was a little rebel. This is me, I made this. <laughs> these are cutouts from, from magazines. And this says, save yourself if you can, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Nice. Okay. So, I do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, um, but to give you an example, for instance, um, I do have one of my last competitions somewhere in here. 
and this is 1999 before I, um, this is from, you know, the, the Olympics were in 2000, right? And this is 1999, 1999. Yeah. Okay. So this is September 1990, right after the, the, the Pan American Games. And the translation basically says, you know, I, I'm sorry, I write what, what I'm doing, which is sport, sport pistol. My coach is Otar Kibri Kashvili. He was from uh, Republic of Georgia. My other coach from Cuba, Guillermo. Uh, and then wow. I do general preparation, like physical preparation, you know, warming up. Then psychological preparation, okay? And so to give you an example, to give you this, starting off my preparation, 5.05 p.m., starting of the competition, 6 p.m. So I'm preparing physically, mentally, an hour before my competition. And I didn't write here what happened in the match. I guess I only, I wrote down just like my thoughts at the beginning before. And what I said is that I am a strong girl. Um, I'm brave. I'm a fighter. So I'm going to dedicate this competition to my perfect work to my dedication to the sport and to myself. Besides, I have the, I have shot very well before. The only thing that have changed is the place. So I know, I think, I, I say I think, so I think I can do it even better because it is the same gun and it's me, only me who can do it better at every shot. So, and this is me being 18 years old. Okay. Wow. So I don't, I don't think my mindset necessarily changed per se. It was most like the change. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm at the Olympics, but the foundation of what it means to have a strong mindset or always strive to be your best cheerleader was always there. If that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's impressive. Yes. I mean, that, that's, that's awesome. I mean, to be able to self-motivate, you know, to make yourself to, to strive harder, you know, that you can do it, you know, and now you're just going to get out there and do your game. So, uh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. Now, did you have a mental coach or was that just all you? Well, um, no, you know, I, like I've said before, I'm very blessed with the people around me that were my parents are very go-getter people, you know, uh, who have built their life pretty much out of nothing. So they were a primary uh, motivation for me. Uh, my coaches, you know, I have my coach from Cuba. He was like a second father for me. And because I literally saw him more than my own dad. And somebody, my dad was working at school, then go to the ranch. So technically I saw probably him, uh, my coach, uh, more than my dad. But he was always telling me that this is what I do, not what I am. Like a bad shot is not, doesn't define me as a shooter. A bad competition doesn't define me as a, as a shooter. I'm, it's just a process. Sometimes, uh, you know, sports are ups and downs. So obviously that constant reminder was important. Back then, I, like I said, I trained six days a week. So six days a week, I had this man telling me, Okay, you had a bad shot. Don't worry, this is gonna happen. We're gonna fix it here, there. So that's the difference between I consider between myself as an instructor, because 
or the benefit or the, the advantage for me as an instructor because I was coached every single day, not just once in a week. Somebody who didn't know me expects that this could happen. No, like, like every single day. Uh, but also my other coach. So there was a balance. Uh, my coach, the one from Cuba, uh, he uh, he was very sweet. He was like very encouraging person. Otar, who was my other coach, he was from the Republic of Georgia. He was a very strict one who would be like a grandfather for me off the range, but like a drill sergeant on the range. Or you know, there was no there was no sweet spot with him in the sense that if I won a gold medal, which it had happened before, I'm not I'm not talking about hypotheticals. This happened before that I won a gold medal, but I didn't shoot at my standards. He would not look at me. He would say, what are you happy about? Are you happy because, yeah, he would say, are you happy because you shot less crappy than everyone else? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I like this. So, yeah. So, you know, so, you know, I have both balance, meaning like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all good. It's very good. But the other guy is like, hey, girl, <laughs> come on, wake up. That's, that's not going to fly. You know what I mean? And but I also <laughs> but I also um, worked, or I would say, sports psychologists worked with me and us as an athlete. So yeah, I had a whole team of support that not only affected in a positive way my sport, but I have to say, uh, it is how I am as an individual. They literally shaped my mentality, my my life, and how I approach things, whether good or bad, in life. Wow. Well, Gabby, you are completely changing the flow of this podcast because <laughs> I, I've got to, I've got to keep on this topic because this is very good. Um, it's very interesting that you know what you learned with your team there has followed you through life. But I also want to bring up something kind of jumping ahead. Um, we've talked to a couple of people on the podcast and who've said they can see at some point coaching coming to the USPSA. Okay. And what I'm, and what I mean is like coaches there with you, mm -hmm. you know, at major events while shooting, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's phenomenal. I think that, um, that will benefit everybody who is very serious about the sport because many think one of the fallacies that people as shooters are like, Oh, I'm a shooter. I don't need training or I don't need help. I'm like, okay, let me, I'm like, let me think about this for a second. Michael Phelps have won how many gold medals? Right. A lot. He still has a coach. Right. But you who goes and shoot once a week and <laughs> which is 55 days, 52 days in a year, possibly. Right. Um, and then you think that you don't need coaching. I'm like, okay, good for you. You know, <laughs> just do it. Right. <laughs> so, um, I know I do believe, uh, obviously it's, it's a money constraint for many. Uh, but I do believe seeking training as often as you can finding, if you can, you know, have coaching per se, uh, finding friends that you can train together. I do that as often as I can, 
Uh, and it doesn't matter if they are grandmasters or masters or not. All I need in my head is somebody who is behind, who has a very good sense of the sport. And even if they're not there, they do have the sense that they can pick up and say, hey, Gabby, you know what? You move. You had an extra movement there. And I'm like, ah, you know what? You're right. And we review the videos and stuff. So um, it's just having a training partner or friend or people that you're constantly training with so you both can see each other that you both can um grow together whether at same level a different level doesn't matter at the end of the day you're gonna grow in the sport but having coaches if that is something that the sport goes um i mean by all means we we need it of course do you, do you think it adds to the legitimacy of the sport or I think the sport is legitimate regardless. You know what I mean? What it does, it definitely brings the the the, the level possibly even higher uh, for, for those who are seeking for that. I mean, we have to see that, we have to say that this is a sport, as many others, but this sport is more a hobby for most shooters. You know what I mean? Right. The vast majority of shooters. So if they believe if they think that they want to do best of course it's like the same way you go to a gym and you have a you go to the crossfit gym you have a coach why because you know you want to make sure that you don't injure yourself you want to make sure that you do it well and believe it or not one sooner or later you're going to be like oh my god i want to do my first competition in crossfit and that perhaps was not your original thought but then you're there so i think it does brings up the level but it has to come with them people's mentality have to change that yes you do need training you need to have somebody if you don't have a coach per se you do need to train with other people that you can sort of co coach each other and and, and grow yeah i i agree I, I think it would take it to that next level for sure yeah, definitely so um okay so at at what point in your life did you decide you were going to move to the United States? <laughs> that is a that is a complex is a complex um, question, but I'm gonna try to break it down the easiest way I can. Uh, there were many factors that uh, the the influenced my decision to come to the United States. Uh, one of them was but who was my ex husband back then. For two years, he wanted me to come to the United States and all that stuff. But in my head was like, you know, that's fine, but I'm going to leave everything I have here. You know, my career, I was in the university. I was ready to go to the Olympic Games. So I was, I had so many things that I wasn't ready to go. Besides, in my head was like, okay, I'm going to go there and then what? You know, uh, I yeah. was not so familiar about immigration because you know i was not even that was not in my head but i also thought you know how is gonna be my status when i get there so then um socialism was a i to me was the biggest factor because as the socialism finally became you know true or you know they kept saying oh no this is not gonna be so bad at the beginning right or during the elections one it got implemented everybody was like oh hold on this is gonna be a rough ride right and so firearm ammunition was restricted I, we couldn't find pellets my coach was like okay 10 pellets here you know x amount of 22 bullets here so um my sport obviously got a big hit 
then I started saying, wow, this is really going from, from bad to worse rather quickly. Uh, so that took a, that was a huge influence. But um, I came here to Miami to visit, who, like I said, who was my ex-husband, and we went to a book fair. That was in 2002, early 2002. And then um, he used to sneeze, you know, those people who sneeze 10 times in a row. And I'm watching this amazing, I love percussion. And I'm watching this Korean kudo, I think it's this, dun, dun, this big, big drums and stuff, amazing. And this girl, I'm in between my ex-husband here, and she's, bless you, bless you, bless you. And I'm like, okay, when this is done, I turn and say, thank you, right? And I said, thank you. When I looked at her, she went with me to the Olympic Games in two years prior to the Olympic Games. No way. Yes, a tennis player. And I'm like, you know, like, like what? Like, what are you doing here? It was an amazing, surreal, like sent from God kind of moment. Because it turned that few minutes conversation turn into a exchange of lawyers information watch how oh. she yeah how she got in here and so then like a week later i'm i make an appointment with this lawyer and we ended up i he told me okay we can apply for what is called an extraordinary ability visa or an o1 and an o1 visa is only uh granted to um athletes um a Nobel Prize or people who have okay who people who have uh, developed great things in their field like their abilities right. created that not just unique talent in it, some field well yes but more than talent right. for instance actors do not get into that actors go in that slower bracket okay you know if that makes sense. Because you know, sports yep. with physical ability, you train it's, it's a different, I don't know exactly the the perfect criteria. But anyway, uh, I applied for the visa and then then I had the what I'm gonna do there, you know what I mean? I can get there. I have my reasons <laughs> why to to the motivation to why I didn't want to stay in my home country and I moved. And I left everything, I left everything behind. I only brought uh, my one suitcase, something's valuable to me, obviously pictures of my family, my notebooks, as you can see, some of them, my mom sent them to me, two medals, my only two medals I brought from the South American games. My last competition where I got, I got three gold medals, I brought only two and left one for my parents. And that's it. I left my, I was Olympic, at that point I was Olympic hope for Athens 2004, like I said, I had already won three gold medals. Um, I was uh, studying in, um, civil engineering, so I left my university. Um, I left everything, and and I said, okay, that's it. Okay, <laughs> so here you are in Miami. Now, what do you do? Well, you know, uh, trying to navigate the country, the culture. I didn't know English pretty much at all. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't even know how to drive. I was 20, 20 what? 21 back then. Yeah. Because in Venezuela, you know, we had transportation from the, uh, the sport. We had a bus. We'll take us to this, to the, 
the venue and all the of that. Venue. Right. And, and driving in Venezuela is not necessarily the safest thing to do, even though some people like to do it. I was like, no, I can leave that to my parents. <laughs> and you think it's safe here in the States? Oh, <laughs> oh honey, you've, never been to, you've never been to the south central americas it's not it's not the same mm, like it's like yeah. nascar like rubbin's racing like that's yeah. normal yeah yeah no, you know yeah. i used to tell my mom i used to tell my mom it was funny because you know how your mentality changed going from one country to another and by and then when you go back so before i used to tell my mom oh mom you drive like an old woman and we're going to and we go in the, uh, <laughs> we'll go to the uh to the main I say like downtown per se. We don't have that. Okay. Right? Let's say downtown. And there's a lot of people walking. And for you to pass, you have to keep driving and keep driving and keep driving. It's not such a thing. Oh, I'm going to wait until people pass. And then I'm going to go. No, you just need to keep going. And I remember <laughs> telling my mom, okay, mom, go, go, go. Right. <laughs> and two years later, after leaving here in the United States, I went back to visit and stuff. And then I was like, oh my goodness, you guys are gonna kill him. What? What <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is a big difference. <laughs> yeah, when, right. I, when my parents, when we visit Nicaragua, when my parents, like my dad used to be like, hey, he's the driver. And when he would, when we'd go down there and I, he was, 180 degree difference he was like get out of the way swearing yes. at people like getting ready to run people over he hopped the median because there was a parade in front of us he hopped the median and drove against traffic to get in front of the parade well Dave, like, that's normal yeah well Dave, you know that about the philippines i was yeah. i was just having that i always had a blast but i was like a cognitive dissonance in that moment yeah. you know it's like oh wow this is gonna feels normal but it's not normal <laughs> you know <laughs> people driving against traffic but yeah so hey, i was uh difference. i was in korea one time and we had a couple of uh taxis we had enough people that we had more than one taxi so everybody was like when you get in your taxi say hubba hubba honcho so we got in the taxis we said hubba hubba honcho and next thing you know all of the taxis were racing we're going through alleyways around cars that is by far the most terrifying car ride i've ever had in my life exciting as all get out but also most terrifying so i totally get it holy cow so what what did you so you 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 were a civil engineering student you were all of these things now that you're you're in miami you're in a whole other country you don't speak the language you don't know anything really about the country or where you're living. How did you, how did you find a place to live? How did you find work? I mean, how does that happen? Well, you know, I had my, who was my ex-husband. So he was definitely a good resource and the friends around. Um, and uh, so that helped a lot for, you know, to me. And then um, I had a friend who just needed an assistant. I don't know, guys, it's just loud. They are mowing. That's it. <laughs> okay. We so can I, still hear you. Okay, okay, okay. So anyway, so then I was like, you know what? I just need something else to 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 that I really like. So I, even though I had applied for my visa and everything, I had my working visa. 
I still didn't have a complete full status, right? So I was still waiting for my my green card to be approved. And so I figured, okay, you know, I'm gonna work in a in the industry what I like, the gun shops. And I applied for several gun shops and one of them accepted my application and I started working at a gun shop and I worked there for about six years. Okay. Before, yeah. And so I'm very familiar with you know, gun sales, even though some people come to me like, hey, can I talk to a salesperson, please? I'm like, sure, <laughs> sir. <laughs> I can help you. But um, you, you should was, just go to work wearing one of your gold medals. No, I, I have to say, <laughs> I, ha I have my strategy. You know, I am one of those people who I don't like to get into arguments. I, I think it's useless. But I do like to, if I can, in a way or another, I wouldn't say change people's minds, but perspective. To me, it's more important, more than minds, but perspectives. Um, so there was one piece that we had that to rack the slide, a concealed carry gun, it was very hard. Like you had to like, oh, hard, right? And we're talking about, oh my God, 2005. Okay, so it's back then. So anyway, when guys will come, I say something like that, uh, like didn't think that I was a, a salesperson or I could help them and they were looking for a concealed carry gun, I would say, oh, I can help you. Let me show you this gun and I'll go remove the mag magazine. And because I knew how to handle this gun so much, I knew the amount of force I needed to apply to the gun. So, you know, rack this like, like butter, like, mm, like <laughs> butter, right? I said, here it is. And I go like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, is there anything else you can show me a little bit softer? I'm like, sure. I guess. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so I can tell you, you know, I knew how to break the ice rather quickly. <laughs> yeah, you set them up. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, sounds like yeah. a friend of ours. Sounds like a friend of ours, Leo. <laughs> Right. So at what point um, after getting here in the States, did you take up competition shooting like USPSA or did you take up something before that? Did you try getting on the Olympic team? Um, you know what? My ex-husband even got me an air pistol back then. And I said, no, I was burned down. You know, I had trained for 10 years of my life and, you know, I literally was spurred down. I was like, you know, I want to have a time. I want to have time that I can say, this is what I want to do. Um, so no, I didn't try Olympic shooting then, um, but I got into tactical shooting because, you know, working in, in, in this gun shop and we had a lot of customers who come and visit and, and regular customers who were into tactical shooting instructors. And I started with that. I started with it, you know, moving like this and shooting slowly and getting into certain positions. And they are, I mean, we're still friends until this day. And I love them so much because they were my first transition from going on Olympic shooting and the helmet transition to a nine millimeter, which is a big difference. Even though I was a shooter, you know, I got startled with that nine millimeter and learning how to control their recoil, accepting their recoil and all that stuff. So their practices were amazing for me. There was no speed, there was no necessarily timing, but it was all about make your hits, uh, do your movements, you know, as accurate as say, making sure that you don't shoot yourself in the leg, obviously being 
safe and all that stuff. And then from there, I did transition to USBSA. But they were like a very, to me, I thought it was a very good transition between the two. Okay. Now you are, I noticed that you are, you've picked up your training considerably for USPSA. Yeah, yeah I'm a competitive person. You know, I, I, I am. I, I don't, I guess I don't have to say, I, I, I live my whole life pretty much like that. And, I, and I'm not going to say competitive in the sense of competing and trying to be better than others, but other like me, how can I do it better? Like, oh, you know, I, I sometimes I scrutinize too much of my own videos for my own good, but that's part of kind of my nature that I'm like, okay, you know, I, I did this wrong. How can I fix it? How can I do it? So, you know, and, and also the, um, I have to say that the camaraderie in the sport and the USPSA is contagious. You know, people are like, oh, Gabby, I can help you with this. Oh, you have small hands. I can help you with your grip. I can help it. So it was like, you know, all this help was just jumping around. And it, how can you say no to continuing the sport when you have so much embracement from the people and so much help that people want you to be there? They want to help you. And, and you see that from within themselves. Like, hey, dude, let's train today. Let's train tomorrow. Or, oh, my God, this happened to my God. Okay, here, here's my magazines. Here's my gear. You know, it's not only that happened to me, but I can see it. I can see it like in other people. So you can see it's genuine. No, because I'm a woman or because I'm Hispanic or whatever you want to say. No, it's just a genuine part of the sport. And, and I love that. And so, you know, that's why I just continue with it because I, I'm kind of, I love that. Like when I go and train with my friends, you know, here in Virginia, I have a few friends that I train with and I like that. Like we go, we have fun, we joke, we, we are like, ah, laugh at each other. <laughs> we push each other. And, and I'm, I love that. Well, and I, and I've seen on your Instagram where you've posted some stuff with some people you're training with. Yeah. So are you, are you pushing to get better in USPSA? Do you have a goal or is this just Gabby is competitive and wants to be better? <laughs> well, I guess a little bit of everything, you know, uh, some people, you know, some people I see, especially in USPSA, they, they, they continually fight, forget the classification. Oh, I want to be a master. I want to be your master. I think that's great to me is more, can I shoot at that level? Okay, because having the grandmaster, master A or whatever or B, to me is just whether egotistic or just like a prize thing that you can say I'm a grandmaster and master and, and, and not, not saying anything bad about it, if that makes sense. But in my mm -hmm. sense, it's like, can I shoot at that level? Some people tell me, oh, Gabby, you are an A shooter. You should be classified or not. Hey, yeah, but a major matches, I'm still at B level percentage. What is it? Is it my mental block? Is it my my movements? Is it that I'm very I'm very conservative? So now until I know I, I you know 
I can prove to myself, I don't care about what anybody else says or believe or think or whatever, but until I know that I'm like, okay, you know, I'm at a match level, I'm shooting this, I know I'm going, I am that, and I'm going to be that because it's good, eventually it's going to happen regardless. You know, when you go to major matches, they bump you because they are going to bump you, right? Whether you like it or not. Yep. But to me, that is what I'm looking for, is a constant striving to be better for my own sake. That's it. You know, like I'm saying, um, being in the sport, shooting matches and everything is for my own satisfaction. And and also, I don't know, I, I just love the sport. I think also I'm a role model for my son. I cannot tell my son in the eye, I am this in paper, but I'm not this when I'm doing it, if that makes sense. So yeah, absolutely. That's that's what I'm coming from with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's more, it's a little bit of everything. I, I just love I love the journey. You know, I love the journey of learning. I love the journey of learning about myself. Even when I started school, I started school after 20 years. I graduated high school in Venezuela. I have never gone to any formal education in the United States, no formal English education. And I jumped into university to get my bachelor's. And and for stuff that were so simple, like the basic classes, that my husband's like, oh, it's not a big deal. To me, it was a big deal because I, I could not, I was still learning grammar, English grammar, and and all that stuff. But I love the journey of learning, no matter what it is. So I, to me, it's it's just it's just a process that is it's fun, and I try to keep it fun as much as I can all the time. Okay. So at what point I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. I know we don't have much time left, so, but I've got to bring it up. Okay. At what point did you find out about Top Shot and how did you get on the show? So, well, I was a fan, like many of you, you know, Top Shot season one, so I watched season one, season two. Uh, I thought it was a cool sport. And by that time about season three or they were casting my brother from Venezuela kept telling me, apply apply i'm like are you crazy no that's a tv show i i'm not an actor or anything like that that was in my head and then one day i facebook scrolling they come up and like an advertisement this is the last week to apply for top shot and i click on it and then i was like okay i read it it was not a big deal just send i saw oh just send a picture who you are and why you should be on top shot and so i was like okay and i literally did not think much other than open up my email send that picture send the email and then i went back to the link to keep reading because obviously it's, it was more to it and then said along with that email attaching a audition video i'm like oh man i for i didn't do that they're gonna disregard my email you know what i mean like i didn't send the complete application but long to behold they call me a week later, and they said, we need your audition video not later than like three days. It was something like that, crazy. Well, I spent the whole weekend filming and trying to make this video. The video is still on, on YouTube. It's like a nine minute video. So oh, <laughs> wow. it, yeah, if you have a chance to watch it, watch it. it it's, it's, it's fun to watch or to me to remember all that. And, uh, and then it, it was a long process between you know getting that pool of people they flew us to los angeles 
50 of us to get, you know, a whole wow. process of shooting, training, I guess, to gauge your handgun, you know, your ability. Being, right. Uh, okay. Or at least to say if you were who you were in a sense. Psychological, right. psychological evaluation, medical evaluation, um, evaluation in front of the the producers. Uh, so it was a long process. I remember where I was like literally in an interrogation room. Like my, I was in a chair in the middle in the middle of the room, and there were like I don't know six, eight people on tables around there, and I, and asking me questions and stuff. And one of the questions I'll never forget was like, okay, so. If there's another female shooter and she is better than you, what would you do? I'm like, well, if she shoots good, I'll say, good girl, you know, uh, we can do this. But yes, but wouldn't you try to do something to her? I'm like, well, not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm just being me, right? And then when I left the interview, I'm thinking, dang it, they, they you know, they want drama. They're not going to pick me because I am not a drama person. I am. This is what you get. That's it. You know, but they picked me. So uh, it was surreal again, more. Well, the first episode was kind of, um, you know, traumatic knowing that anybody could leave on that. First right. So before even getting into the house or getting to wear a jersey. So it was like you were, but you weren't on Top Shot. So that was odd. But anyway, when we finally made it and I was in the house and I'm wearing my red jersey and I'm, we're sitting, that was the first, you know, filming per se we did as a team. I'm sitting on the couch in the living room and all I kept thinking was like, man, I'm on the other side of the TV. This is going to <laughs> That's <Wow>. funny. So, <laughs> So yeah, you know, it's it's to me, I know many people say, oh, they do drama and all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, they're type A people and they are competitors, all of them competitors. So drama is real. My thing is that what people say on camera, that was their choice. Nobody, nobody told me, oh, Gabby, you have to say this. I'm like, no, I just say what I wanted to say. So, you know, that's that's how it goes. Yeah, I was. Uh, I either watched an interview with uh, a, a male participant on another episode, mm -hmm. or I read an interview, whichever it was. And and he was actually saying that the producers and directors were disappointed there was not that much drama in all of the seasons. They were expecting more drama, mm -hmm. and there really wasn't. There was a little bit on a couple yeah. of the shows, but but not much. Very little, well, actually. What people. What people don't realize is that there is drama in our own lives with people that mm -hmm. we love, with your mother, with your wife, with your children. How do you don't expect to have not to see conflict with people who are type A, who are in a competition and and they are already so biased of what, you know, we're in a TV show and stuff like that. There are people who want to show more than others and that kind of stuff. So. You know, it's just it's just what it is. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much drama as we can see in other TV shows. And, and they learned. I think that I think no, I know the producers learned from season one to season to my season, season four and five. Because by season four, which is different than season one, we didn't have mics every time. We didn't have cameras every single time. 
So they right. figured out that not even us as a competitors, but their viewers, what the viewers were looking for was not necessarily, you know, the nick pick things that we did in the house or whatever, other than the mat, the competitions and the fan and the exciting and the talks and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the the most attractive part was the the discussion about who was going to be up for the challenge, you yeah. know, who was going on the chopping block, that type uh -huh. of thing, and then watching the actual shooting competition. So, yeah, it was a very good show. And I'm I have to sad say, to you see know, it's gone. And I have to say we were like 16 competitors. And, you know, obviously it got reduced as the weeks went by. But, you know, as all of us, we're still – dozen or more competitors there and every single day who were thinking what is going to be the next challenge oh i bet it's going to be this i bet it's going to they're going to do we never never ever got it right so you know it was it was some it was fun too you know that people we would never everything they put in front of us we never expected it okay all right that's good that makes it even better yeah all right so real quick in our last couple of minutes yeah. what is american air gunner american air gunner is a tv show it's a pretty much a competition show sort of like top shot and where shooters you know they're presented with different challenges we were presented with different challenges and well we tried to do our best uh, I was called for this show and I was like, okay, that sounds like Top Shot. You know, there are going to be some shooters who are like maybe pistol shooters like me and other shotgun shooters, you know, with air guns and stuff. Some uh, proficient on because air gun, there's Olympic shooting. There's different kind of air gunning, right? Right. So I was thinking, oh, they, I'm sure they're going to be a variety of skills. And then I learned when I got there, like, no, everybody was air gunners rifle shooters i was the only one who was pretty much off the grid like <laughs> pistol shooter. oh wow yeah so um but again uh, i am competitive and in the sense that i'm like okay i know nothing about these guns because they're different <laughs> i have to say like hell difference shooting a rifle even two two three or any rifle to an air gun rifle like if you zero let's say in the cross right and you hit with this and just 50 yards further you probably depending on the bullet way or the pellet way i mean you're off completely of the can be off the scope if you're 100 yards 150 yards so it is a, it was a whole different world to me but like i always say if anything from this competition i'm living 10 times more knowledgeable than i came with and that's the truth. It was the truth for me. It really opened my mind and my eyes. And I hope that it did that for my followers when I posted stuff for air guns that, hell, you can shoot an air gun at 200 yards. Like, that's <laughs> insane, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's the capability, that technology. Yeah, you have technology in the, in the um, what was it? Chronograph inside of the rifle, to give an example, that Umarex has a 50 caliber that is like the hammer. So, you know, I was, I was like, wow, it's like a whole different world from what I'm used to. So I, it was a, I think it's a phenomenal uh, TV show for people to see more 
than what Airgun is. You know, there's a lot more to it. And what network was that? Do you know? Yes, that it was in the um, Sportsman. Uh, what is it? Um, oh my God! Sports, sports, sports channel. Sports uh, You see, got me on. Put me on the spot right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay. We'll figure it out. I'll post a link so people can yeah, can yeah, go yeah. there and check it out. Well, Gabby, I know you have to run. Yeah. So we yeah. appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on. You need to be less busy. So next time we have you on, we can have more time. Because there's a yeah. thousand more questions. Yeah. That's not going to happen, I have to say. So, <laughs> I, I'm clear. I tell people. People say, oh, Gabby, can you do this? I can tell you if I can or I cannot. I cannot be less busy. So I'm, I'm, I'm about to wrap up my bachelor's. Hopefully I'll be graduating oh. this time next year. Next year. But this time next year, and then I'm gonna jump on my PhD. So, oh, the next time we have you on, we can call you Doctor. Yes. There you go, <laughs> Doctor Franco. <laughs> we'll call him Doctor Gabby. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks for coming on, Gabby, and we hope to have you on again at another time and talk more shooting. Yes. Thank yes. you. I had a blast. You guys are thanks, awesome, Gabby. and I'll be thanks. Thank All you right. very much. Take care. Until next time, don't be a little bitch. Yeah.